This podcast is part of the Midwest Podcast Network. Find out more about our other shows and how to support our network at MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. Welcome to Gone to Texas, a podcast about AMC's Preacher. My name is Alex, and I have not read any of Ennis and Dylan's Preacher. And my name is Nick, and I have read all of Ennis and Dylan's Preacher. Today we will be discussing Season 3, Episode 7 of the AMC series, titled Hilter. That's right, Hilter, not Hitler. Yeah. Because I apparently, (laughs) and the rest of the internet, cannot read. Yeah, as soon as I looked up the episode today, or as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, it says Hilter. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> while we will not Hilter be spo- <laughs> while we will not be spoiling any of the comic and by extension any future plot lines of the show we will be discussing the details of the series through season three episode seven so pause this and go catch up before you listen to the rest of our episode you can find more episodes of our podcast at g2tpodcast.com that's the letter g number two letter t podcast.com we're also g2tpodcast on twitter and you can send feedback to g2tpodcast at gmail.com to tell us what you think of our show and share your thoughts on AMC's Preacher. If you enjoy this show or any other show on the Midwest Podcast Network, please consider heading over to patreon.com slash midwestpodnet, that's M-I-D-W-E-S-T-P-O-D-N-E-T, and pledge as little as a dollar a month to make our network even better. Special thanks to Jason K., who's pledged at the level of $10 per month. So, yeah, in terms of corrections this week, uh, last week I said episode 7 was called Hitler, but it's actually Hilter. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I didn't actually notice that until after I started watching the episode a second time. Cause I think oh, really? my, my brain even heard Hitler instead of Hilter <laughs> when the, when the manager said that. So I know it wasn't, I mean, when, as soon as I saw the name tag, clearly I was like, Oh, that's wow. Good, uh, good cover. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I must've been a little distracted upon my first viewing, but, uh, yeah, so we did get uh, a quick email from our friend Sue. She said, hi, guys. All I want to say is that the All-Father is the most disgusting thing I've seen on TV. And I hate that Cassidy is not with the old gang. On a happy note, I love the way you guys help each other out when you can't think of the name of someone or something. Uh, keep up the good work, Sue. Thank you, Sue. Thanks, Sue. Good Seem- to hear from you. Seems like she must be caught up or close to caught up if she's seeing the All-Father. So that's good. Because she did join... She joined us with the Alienist recap, and then she yeah. caught up on Preacher uh, to start watching the show with us as well. So mm-hmm. she's either close or there. So thank you for joining us on this journey and for signing up for Hulu just so you could listen to our show. Yeah, thank you. That's Support very... means a lot. Yes. Uh, and then we did also get a tweet from our friend Martin. Uh, Martin tweeted at us a couple weeks ago. He did say, and so I'll read his previous tweet. He said, this season's really had a foot, uh, its foot on the gas. Uh, shows the hell storyline was just padding. Only had shots of Eugene going home and finding a crater. And he said, I'd be okay if the saint just beat Hitler to death. Actually, he said Hilter in his in his tweet. So he, oh, he? he knew. He, he must he have known. He was on it. I, yeah. I, don't, I didn't look to see if the title sequence for hitler shows i guess that shows i think that shows the name tag yeah but i you know it's probably been there all along we just haven't noticed <laughs> uh he said Very i'd be likely. okay if the saint just beat hilter to death with a footlong sub before the opening titles and then he <laughs> tweeted us this week and said i was so close with the cold open and then he also said cassidy being lois lane in the flying sequences is the best so <laughs> <laughs> pretty good That's thank beautiful. you Martin. yeah Absolutely. That's such a beautiful way to phrase that. Yeah. 
Oh. Joe Gilgan makes a great Lois Lane. <laughs> oh, yeah. They should put him in just a beautiful flowing black wig. <laughs> that would be very good. Take Akarius's hair and just apply it to Cassidy. <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, we can get on with the recap. So this week's teaser, Hitler has established himself as an employee of the week at Max's Maxi Grinders, a Subway-style restaurant where he has been utilizing the pseudonym David Hilter. One day on his break in the back alley, the complaints of his peers bring him fully back to the Adolf Hitler of the 1940s, complete with a German-language tirade about nationalism. As he plots the return of the Third Reich, the saint of killers in Eugene come to collect him and take him back to hell. Um, two things. Uh, we have been very full-throated about our skepticalness of them using Hitler for comedy. And I think it gets even worse somehow in this episode. Yeah. And we can come back to that. And then number two, <laughs> uh, this all seems so perfunctory that I'm really curious as to what the point even is. It's almost like they didn't know what to do with them. Yes. And are yep. now just relegating them to five minutes at the start of a couple episodes. So. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that completely. I actually feel the exact same way. It feels like they, I don't know if maybe they had a grander plan in mind and then somebody was like, you know what, maybe this Hitler story has gone about as far as it can or, I don't know, I, I'm in a show that has demonstrated time and time again that they're plotting carefully and they're they're planning things with certain payoffs in mind, it's really frustrating to think that perhaps they didn't have a great idea for Hitler or it got, it got squashed somewhere. I mean, it, it kind of reinforces my opinion that maybe they shouldn't have gone down this road to begin with. Like maybe, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, at the same time, it's, it's kind of a relief that he's still just, you know, Hitler, classic Hitler. I guess the thing is, is like, if it was a mistake, <clears throat> would you rather them have not tried to uh, fix the mistake and then also make it so spaced out? Like, should we have seen the same mm. do this in episode two and then call it a day? That's interesting. So you think potentially part of the reason it's been put off so long is because they didn't know what to do. Like they were like, we'll just push that later. And I think people were so put off by the hell storyline last season mm -hmm. that it was kind of like, a, you know what? We're going to show people that this is the preacher that they want because they gave us like four or five episodes before we even had the the Satan and Saint meeting. Right. Yeah. And then it just kind of, it, it, I just, without knowing what's going to happen in the next three episodes, it just seems so weirdly plotted out. Just this subplot. It the does. Uh, I'm I'm having a hard time even describing how I feel about it because it's that confusing. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's it, I'm that like mixed on it all because some of that sequence is really funny. Like there, yeah. and I felt guilty for laughing at some of it, but like <laughs> when that little boy's piling all that avocado on there <laughs> and she's like, you can't separate 
my son from his avocado and he's like a delightful child yeah. i was like what, what the hell <laughs> like it, it made me laugh and then i was like oh god i shouldn't be laughing at any of this and then but i all the stuff in the alley i didn't think was funny at no. all like I, I was like this isn't getting a chuckle out of me like i, I was i don't know it just feels like it, it might be a little too in poor taste and I don't know. It didn't, the, the one part that kind of made me grin a little bit was him plotting his his return on like a napkin, yeah, and like listing his coworkers as like his various like lieutenants. The circuit works guy is the head of the SS or whatever. Yes. Was, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, this is like what a child would do, and <laughs> that was a little that that was I was like, this is clever, but it was it was kind of worth it for you. No, you know what? It wasn't worth it. Does even like Eugene seeing him and him being like, "Oh, great!" Like, and Eugene being like, "I should have never let you out." I was like, "Yeah, duh!" Like, this yeah. isn't this isn't groundbreaking in any way, no. and uh, it just felt like, yeah, kind of a waste of our time. It the I I guess I can see uh, how the <coughs> political events of the most recent couple of years. Mm-hmm. would lead them to a place where they could maybe explore what Nazism is in mo- a modern context. But I don't feel like they did any of the legwork to well, and you should probably discuss just, that. You should probably just use a, a fictitious character. Yeah. Like, just make an original character. Because, I mean, there's such a thing on the internet known as the Hitler argument. And it's known as like the shittiest way to argue with somebody is by comparing something to Hitler. Yeah. It's like it's so extreme that you can't you can't argue against it. You can't like you just it can't be entered into any sort of equation. And I feel like that in their minds they had a good idea and they're like we could do we could do this, but it just I think it was kind of dead on arrival. Like there was not nothing about that plot was stimulating, even in season two. Yeah. So. Yeah. And it, which is which is really a shame because Eugene is so tethered to it and he's fantastic. Yeah, that's true. <clears throat> so, I don't know. Whatever, I'm ready for it to be done. Like honestly, I thought the saint was going to walk in and when he was like when he was screaming at him that he wasn't going to go back, I thought the saint was just going to put a bullet in his head. Yeah. But then I was like, oh, he doesn't have his guns, so he can't." But honestly, if they get I don't know what they have in mind for him, but just he's good send him off so you i think you said last week that you felt like there's no way they are going to get back to hell how do you feel about that this week i think i still kind of think that they they won't necessarily get back there but if they do i feel like they're some of them are walking immediately back out again okay i i don't think eugene is spending any more time in hell any significant time and the saint certainly isn't hitler's fate i don't know but i I hope uh it's right back to hell and uh we don't have to bother with it anymore because it was a distraction in season two and now it's a waste yeah yeah so i i was i was good without it just the saint coming to get eugene was uh was cool and uh i like i kind of like that weird pair up I almost hope I get a scene or two of them on their like long uh, walk back to hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <coughs> All right. I don't know. No, I I don't. Yeah, there's not a whole lot more to say about it. I guess without beating a dead horse. I guess. Yeah. All right. In Act One, 
Uh, as Jesse and Tulip light a funeral pyre for Sabina in the swamp, Hairstar arrives to meet with Jesse and Grandma. They discuss Star paying Jesse's debt down in exchange for being able to use Jesse to resolve a business dispute, but Grandma is skeptical and just wants one thing, souls. Uh, Icarius shows Cassidy a coffin that he had made for him. Cassidy has also been requested to turn Lisa for the for her blood ceremony, and Cassidy rebuffs at first, thinking nothing good has become of creating more vampires. In that instant, Dang returns to the lair to fly, quote-unquote. Lisa informs Cassidy that once someone is turned, Icarius takes them to the airport to send them off to a new country to perform mission work and to make the world a safer place for vampires, and Cassidy seems impressed. And then finally in Act 1, Hoover heads into a church and gives a strange confession where he gets sent down an elevator into a gym where nuns and preachers are training. Hoover informs them that he wants to catch a vampire and they all stop to look at him. Uh, Yeah, so I really enjoyed watching Star and Grandma meet and negotiate. Yeah, same here. It's, it was just the, um, the just show them sitting there looking at each other was funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like it, it's, a, it's an interesting tableau. And like the fact that like grandma is completely unfazed by star, it's not like a, mm. there's just, she's not intimidated by him. There's no amount of like, she's not horrified at his appearance. There's none of that. It is just okay. Let's talk or whatever. It yeah. like it's just a very interesting dynamic <laughs> dynamic between the two of them. Yeah, and vice versa. Yeah, Star is not. He's nothing about her occupation or anything. Bases him. He's just like yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um. So what do you what do you like? It's kind of hard to talk about because we haven't really gotten to what Jesse thinks star can do to help them um to help them actually pay down his debt but i so i guess we'll get there but did you have any other thoughts about that that meeting or i guess the funeral pyre as well the funeral pyre uh i didn't i didn't count on that and i thought it was kind of nice actually i didn't expect that and i thought that was a nice thing to include i also thought both of their reactions were sincere and uh, regretful, and I thought that was kind of important. I mean, for a show that just, you know, randomly and wantonly just kills so many characters, I thought it was good to show that she kind of got caught in the crossfire. They did manipulate her into some situations, but I don't think either of them counted on that happening or wanted it to happen. So yeah. I kind of liked that that was there. Um, the the uh, the uh creole viking funeral i thought was very interesting the 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 idea of just tying a gas can to the end of the pyre as it floats out yeah it's pretty ingenious actually (laughs) yeah that was clever i uh i thought the whole thing was was well done i like all the the scenes that take place in the swamp i just think are really funny and interesting especially as compared to like where we've been in previous seasons yeah just like even color wise it's kind of nice Mm mm-hmm uh on the whole i didn't really love this episode very much but i thought it was filled with lots of moments that were really really great and there were a lot of lines that i like loved like i actually laughed out loud several times during this episode and when i say i feel like i say that in a lot of our episodes like oh this actually made me laugh out loud but i mean like 
I don't know about everybody else, but it's not particularly common for me, like when I'm watching something either by myself or whatever, to like actually start laughing unless I'm like with friends or watching a comedy. But there were several moments where I actually like, and there was one where I was like laughing so hard I like had to rewind it because I missed the line. <laughs> and I'll, I'll get to that. Yeah. But I think it was potentially the funniest thing to happen all season. <laughs> uh, but Star's line when he's when he's feeding her all the options he has for her and he's looking around and he's like, if you want to leave the 19th century behind, <laughs> like just that alone was so good. Yeah. And I was just like, man, Star is just so, so awesome. He's so funny and so perfectly written and uh, and played. Um, it's fun to see him in a position to, uh, where he has to help someone to get what he wants. Yeah. Like he, he seems to at least under, like Jesse has somehow made it clear to him, like killing her is not an option Mm -hmm. and we need her to be happy. Otherwise I'm dead and you don't get what you want either. And that whole the dynamics swirling around that entire meeting are just fascinating. But as much as much fun as Star is when he has like absolute power, he's really fun to watch when he has to work with somebody. Yeah. And when he has to deal with people and he can't just like strong arm his way into it and you watch him try to like even converse, it's really funny. Mm-hmm. I loved also another thing that made me giggle was when Hoover is on the phone and then he hangs up and he sprints across the street into the church. <laughs> <laughs> Why he didn't just call him from right outside the church door, I don't know. But the sprint itself was so funny. And I was like, why does Hoover run like that? It just like really <laughs> cracked me up. Um, is this a scene where, he's, where he describes where they get into the details of the souls and how the Grail owns? Not quite yet. That, that's later? Okay. Yeah. All right. I'll save my notes for that then. Yeah, we can, we can come back to that. Uh, okay. What, what did you think about some of the Acarius and Cassidy stuff? Like... Clearly, we're getting. Uh, it, it's fun to see Joe Gilgan trying to be like a little bit of a mentor, mm-hmm. and and he he's trying to act all cool about it, but he's really horrible as he's playing pool. Like he's just really bad at. He like tries to call <laughs> a shot on a ball yeah. that's not even the eight ball, and he just completely whomps. Like and he says, he says purple ball at one point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was uh, that was funny too. I really liked the reveal because you see him walk on the table and he's like purple ball corner, and the camera kind of jibs down a little bit, and you see the table is still covered in balls, and you're like, <laughs> "What's the point? <laughs> like, what are you doing?" <laughs> it's really good. You could tell that for as long as he's been around, he hasn't played much pool, which no. is odd. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's such a natural. Like you can just watch. I I like that they. I mean, all three of the show's leads are such gifted actors that they they can do lots of long takes but with joe gilgan it's especially fun just to watch the camera just like move around and let him just do his thing yeah i swear that when the camera cuts he's probably the exact same like some of those lines are probably how he talks to the crew he's like all right all right all right and he's like they just roll and he's like let me do this and just like just goes for it yeah, he's not, just uh he's so good. None of his uh I, what if none of his uh Cohen brothers hate is actually written for him. It's just stuff that he's been talking about around Got the set. It. I hope so. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> he strikes me as one of those guys who just like <laughs> will have conversations with like anybody mm-hmm. and uh, on the on the crew and they'll just and the writers will probably be like, "So what what 
what are your likes and dislikes and then try, and try to work it in i did notice this episode that all three of them are listed as co-executive producers now and oh, i yeah. don't i don't know if that's always been the case or not i don't know when that started but that i that was just interesting to me that is interesting that they're because uh, i mean a producer credit for a star is not like it's almost comical as you get near the like later seasons of the office when you see that half of the cast are producers. Yeah. It makes you realize that eventually this shit gets to a point where it's not that serious to be like a line, a producer of some sort. You're kind of like, oh, okay, like put some money in and that kind of thing. But it's uh, it's weird how that works. But for co-executive producers that that's pretty uh, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, and and it just kind of struck me as the fact that like I, I was like, as you said, putting some money in, like maybe, maybe they needed to buy in a little bit to make season three happen, which mm. is simultaneously cool and a little bit sad. Yeah, at the same that's true. Time. I guess I shouldn't be too quick to be like, oh, they're co-executive producers because a lot of times the titles are somewhat meaningless, but I don't know. There, there's a lot that goes into like funding this kind of stuff. Yeah. And if any of them. If any of them own production companies or are partners in production companies, that that can play a role too. Yeah. So, no, it, it, that is interesting. Uh, I hadn't noticed that, but it's kind of cool to see the stars invested on a higher level than just let me show up and perform and you know get paid kind of thing. Yeah. Um. Did you? So I liked. I liked and simultaneously didn't really like the like montage of stock photos and clips that they showed for like uh, as Lisa's explaining oh. Acarius's mission. <laughs> oh, I loved it. <laughs> it was like I thought it was really funny. It reminded me of too many cooks, and I don't know why. <laughs> if it if they had shown it on the guise of like the L'Enfant du Song website or something maybe i would have like liked it a little bit more but the fact that it was like diegetic in the show like the only thing that i really really loved about it was the shot of dang hanging yes. the thing in the window and yeah. just smiling and through it into the camera yeah, yeah. It, that that part was incredible to me but like the rest of it i was just kind of like they just did some color correction on some getty images video or something like that and yeah I, called I it the it, day it worked for me i thought it was funny yeah it could have been, it could have had more uh like cornball vampire related sound effects. I yeah. think I would have I would have loved that too, like the the owl hooting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Some some but, some Dracula organ or something like that over the time. Yes, totally. Yeah. yeah. That was a, it would have been a good opportunity. I don't know. It, it, I thought it was funny. I'm actually glad you mentioned that because I forgot to take a note during that sequence. But I love too how it's like her profile and she's looking all hopeful yeah. and it's like little fifty percent opacity over it. Like yeah. I just I don't know. I I really liked it. I was like, this is really good. She's so like <clears throat> she's so into it and like believes it so heartily and she so wholeheartedly and she says it was she says that with such conviction that I started believing it even though. From the start, I was like, this guy's a predator. There's no way. <laughs> yeah. There's no way. <clears throat> There's no way that you're you're filling the world with more of you when you're essentially the most powerful being like on the planet. Yeah. To your knowledge anyway. Yeah. But Yeah, yeah, I don't know. But then as she's saying and then at, when she gets done telling it to Cassidy and he's like, It's pretty cool and 
She's like, yeah, it is cool. And then he does that laugh. He does this weird laugh right at the end of the scene. And the scene cuts right after that. But the way he laughs, it felt so... Oh, because she puts her teeth back in her mouth. Yeah. And when she puts her teeth back in her mouth, he laughs. And I feel like it's a real laugh that he didn't think she was going to do that. Because it, it doesn't feel like Cassidy at all. It yeah. feels like somebody like breaking character. And then it, it like cuts so immediately after that. I was like, I wonder if they just left that in. <laughs> it, it worked really well. Like, yeah. It really cracked me up, too. She gets done telling us, and she's just... She's the perfect actress. Her, her eyes are just so like glowy, and then she just like pops those teeth back in, and <laughs> he just lets out this weird little hoot. It's awesome. <laughs> That's really good. Uh, that whole that whole bit, I I really enjoyed. I thought that was really funny. Uh, I did. I did want to highlight. I saw in my notes here that I had bolded the uh, the the down home witching hour with voodoo granny or some yes. such. That's easy. That's an email. <laughs> That's an email. Yeah, yeah. And Star's so funny because he, he doesn't talk. I mean, he doesn't always talk a lot, but I like that Grandma's lack of any sort of response makes him continue and that he kind of continues the same thought. Like he's expecting the more I expand this sentence, maybe they'll agree because he's like, or some such. That's easy. <laughs> That's an email. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. keeps slowly falling out of his mouth and it's uh it's awesome i forget what i was listening to or watching but there was somebody talking about how interviewing people uh it could have even been something we were talking about but the idea of like interviewing people or talking to them about something how you being silent can lead to pulling more out of like an interview subject or something like that uh and and that that because we feel the need to have words happening yeah so yeah. it, it just it certainly that effect is at play in that conversation so all right uh and then did uh these vampire hunting clergy are they <laughs> of any resemblance to anything in the comic if you don't want to answer that's fine but i don't maybe i actually can't remember clearly okay i kind of think the some elements like Les Enfants have been very different, but I feel like some elements now are starting to swing back towards the book. Okay. All I know is that the like, <laughs> all the like buff nuns and priests <laughs> training in the gym. Oh, that killed me. I love yeah. the one, the one like, there's like the Monsignor that he talks to that's like kind of the main one, but then there's this one in the background who's just huge and he has like a sleeveless yeah, like it's a, it's a- habit on <laughs> or whatever it's called with his like collar. And, and I was like, oh my God, this is so good. I want. I want a whole episode about those guys. Yeah, like that's uh, it's really funny. I, I after seeing that sequence, I was like, "Oh God, these guys are going to be fantastic!" And then, like by the end of the episode, I was like, "We're probably never going to see them again." <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, and like it was such a great introduction, and I was like, "They didn't did not capitalize on that at all." Yeah. All right, we can go ahead with Act Two. Uh, Featherstone, Tulip, TC, and Jody all wait in the kitchen as the powers meet in the next room over. Featherstone refers to Genesis in front of the group, and TC question it, questions it, but Tulip and Featherstone tell him it's just a band in a weird moment of synchronicity. Jesse shows Star a soul-happy go-go briefcase, and Star says the Grail owns the place, and he offers to get Grandma millions of souls from their Willy Wonka Oompa Loompa room-esque warehouse. Grandma says he needs to make it happen, and then he can borrow Jesse. But he's on a time crunch. Star wants to send Featherstone, and Jesse wants to send Tulip to Japan, so they both end up getting selected for the job. Uh, 
yeah so this is a little bit of a continuation of stuff that we were already talking about the fact that um featherstone lets genesis kind of slip and that tc makes a note of it is interesting to me mm-hmm. like i feel like I feel like with most people, that conversation would just kind of go over the head and just be like, oh, that's weird, and then you forget about it, you know? But the fact yeah. that TC's that tuned into that and could realize that is a little bit uh, impressive for him and also just kind of different for most people, I think. But... Um, yeah, it's a little... It's a little disappointing that Jody is not the one to kind of pick up on it more jody's been kind of like he's just been kind of like sleepwalking through these last few episodes and it's a real shame because he's they set him up to be such a badass in the first few episodes and just knowing from the book what an insanely cool and like terrifying character he is i watch him in the show and i'm like he's just kind of like the enforcer he's kind of like the muscle are you saying that and and these last two episodes are making me think that like the reason he's not in the main credits is maybe they just didn't have enough time with him maybe literally like it it almost seems like they they didn't quite have the opportunity to use him as much as they wanted to because even like he kind of disappears in this episode and then they're like oh yeah he's going to japan with you guys and then he's on the yeah, plane exactly so it's it's kind of it's a little strange. Yeah, but. and he's he is I mean he is kind of an enforcer in the book. He's definitely this weird in, in like invincible thing, but he's also really smart. He's yeah. definitely the brains of the two in the book. And I'm not suggesting that I want TC to be dumber in the show cuz I really like what they've done with him. But I just want Jody to kind of be more, I mean, for them to kind of be on a level playing field like a like a, you know, double threat sort of thing yeah yeah that's fair um good it's it's fun to watch featherstone and tulip interact with the charade down more you know they got like tulip got to got to beat her up a little bit the last time we saw them together but now that it's just like oh we need to be kind of civil around each other it's fun to watch them bounce off of each other a little bit in my opinion yeah i'm getting a little i'm getting a little sick of the whole of like the weird feud that they have it's just kind of like the same thing in every scene yeah i'm uh, I'm getting a little like played out i'm like all right i get it like we got it (laughs) yeah because i feel like featherstone shouldn't care she's supposed to be like this professional buttoned up you know devoted to the grail so she should only be thinking about like the mission, unless her MO right now is to kind of unseat or rather uh, rattle Tulip enough to get her to slip up, which is possible. That's why she's uh, just being so antagonistic. Constantly, yeah, like poking at her. But Tulip is, uh, I don't know, can't explain her reaction other than she just, we know she's pretty fiery and she doesn't like being talked down to. Yeah, well, and I think there's kind of two, like the two other <laughs> things to it. Because I think that might be a little bit of a topic that Joseph catch, uh, touches on in his email that we're going to get to. But I think Tulip Tulip's anger partly has to do with the fact that Featherstone is the one who shot her when she died, yeah, and then also the subject. Like I think Tulip thought she had a genuine connection with uh, Jenny, Jenny, mm-hmm. and 
the fact that that bond got violated by what Featherstone was actually doing kind of sucks too. Yeah, that's true. Um, so that was, I think that's kind of where it's at. The other thing I was going to say, uh, not, not that I feel like we've gotten a very clear indication of it, but with how much we see Featherstone like crushing on star, I wonder if some of Featherstone's hatred towards Tulip is the fact that he's he's kind of... I can think of one line where he paid a little bit of respect to Tulip in terms of Featherstone walking up with her busted nose. And Star says, my God, a woman did that to you? Like, (laughs) maybe there's a little bit of jealousy there. Like, And she even says something at the table of, like, love is a funny thing or something like that. Like... yeah. There's seeds of it there. Yeah, there's definitely some jealousy there because we see the look on her face later when Tulip and Jesse kiss each other goodbye. Yeah. And she's very much like, oh, I want that with with star hair, hair star. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. So I think it's there. I don't know that the show has done the legwork, but uh, yeah. Um, I liked TC's weird stretches he's doing as he's his, walking his around the kitchen. Lunging around the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At first, when he when it first shows him, I was like, is he cleaning something on the floor? I thought he had like, oh, you know, like thrown a towel, a towel on the floor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, no he like just walking around. He's this really weird, like, that's one of the things that I love about Colin Cunningham's performance is that he puts this really weird physicality into it. Like Absolutely. he is doing so much with his body alone mm-hmm. that it doesn't comprehend. Like I can't even comprehend all of it. There's Absolutely. this way that he, it's like episode two when he's cleaning up some of the swamp consomme that Jesse shoots with the shotgun in the, in the pile in the premiere. He, there's this way that he turns to talk to Cass and he sits down on the ladder that he's on yeah. With this weird confidence that is just mind blowing to me, even though it's not like of any import. Like it's just it's so strange to watch somebody operating on that level. But he reminds me of like early Sam Rockwell. Like before Sam Rockwell was super proven, but when he was like in the Green Mile and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. He had like this physical presence to him that was like weird, and you couldn't like you felt like he was some kind of creature that you wouldn't be able to even get your hands around. He'd be too slippery, and he'd yeah. get away from you. But uh, yeah, that's a that's a great way to describe it is this weird physicality. Because even later, when he's kind of leering behind Star, yep, when I mean, he's just standing Shifting there, his weight and like yeah, and yeah. just kind of making these weird faces, and he's also like kind of weirdly built and. Like, he's kind of buff, and you're like, what's TC doing? Like, just lifting up engines all the time? He's slouching so much that you can't tell if he if he's, like, buff or if he's fat. Like, it's it's almost impossible <laughs> for you to discern that because of his how horrid his posture is. Yeah. It's it's really, it's it's a thing of wonder, really. But Yeah, it's fun to even watch him just walk around. Like, in the kitchen, it's like, that's totally those one of those things where he was like, I think I'm going to lunge my way around the kitchen for this scene. Yeah. Feels right. Meanwhile, Jody just stands there and doesn't move, which I think is very appropriate for him. Yeah, yeah. They're quite the duo. Yeah. Uh, I really love that everyone is apparently now referring to Featherstone as Flufferman. Flufferman, yeah. Because Star can never actually remember. He hasn't bothered to remember her name yet. 
Um, yeah, I, I, I cracked up when Jesse says that later. Yeah. But, yeah, no, uh, we'll get to more on the Japan plan, I guess, later on. So, In Act 3, Cassidy reluctantly turns Lisa and Acarius tells her that she'll fly tomorrow. Cassidy seems a little guilty about enjoying turning Lisa and Acarius comforts him about it, but they decide to go out on the town flying, drinking, glamouring, and turning into cats. Hoover and, Monsen- uh, and the Monsignors spy from afar, and Hoover wants Cassidy alive, but the Catman's fate is up to the, the Monsignor. <laughs> uh, Star, Featherstone, Jesse, and Tulip make a plan to hit the Soul Happy Go-Go warehouse in Japan. Featherstone has a deep and rich backstory for her cover identity, Veruca Weiss, while Tulip refuses to use her assigned identity, Janie Finch, and instead wants to go with Marnie Pomerantz. Star informs her that since her cover is as a Grail HR person, she'll need to wear a uniform. And then away from the Grail, Tulip expresses her reluctance to work with them, but Jesse says it's their only option. When Tulip uh, tells Jesse she's worried she'll pull some O'Hare shit, Jesse comforts her and he and explains he would have been wrong to ever refer to the curse. All right. Um, yeah, Cassidy turning Lisa, I thought was well done. Him like trying to stall with the story about how there's a, there's like a what does he say a a, a micro history of you in the dust that's in your house and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Just the crazy weird ramblings of the junkie that Cassidy is. I think we're we're quite good, but um, this felt a little bit more like last episode and i guess it progresses a little further in act four but uh seeing the abilities used again was fun but ultimately i felt like was a little bit of a yeah you know we get it i could see that yeah uh any thoughts about them or we'll we'll come back to i like that the ritual is done on the pool table yeah i didn't i didn't realize that's what it was in the first time we saw it and then this time because we saw it in use and like all the blankets on it, you could see all the pockets i was like oh god yeah (laughs) (laughs) i was really worried about her hair like catching fire with the the candles that they all the candles yeah Yeah. the votives laying there yep yeah cast forgetting his line was funny too he's doing so well at first and i was like how does he remember all this and he's like (laughs) yeah basically yeah (laughs) that was good yeah yeah um I like uh, Acarius telling him it's okay if it feels good. Like that was very interesting, and I feel like something that everybody who's ever been addicted to to like a substance has had someone tell them at some point. Interesting. And I was like, this is really gross. Like, how does how does Cassidy of all people not understand what's happening right now? Yeah, that he's being like, groomed. Yeah, his in, even Cass, who has done so much uh, nasty stuff, is like his in, even his instinct is like this. It's not really right turning people. Yeah, and he's like, I don't really do it. It's not my thing. These people are consenting adults, as he says. He's like, they know what they're doing. Very much like the the words of like someone who who sees a path that they don't want to go down, and they see nothing but like addiction and ruin for them, and then. You know, Icarus, between his shit that he feeds them and, like, the willing participants who seem innocent and, and, and are, by, you know, for, by most regards, 
getting caught up and be like, it's okay, it's okay. And and Cass kind of like letting his guard down. And then when Icarius came and sat down next to him, I was like, it's okay. It feels good. I was like, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> run. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was sad, like, because he's preying on, I mean, he's using those people, he's preying on them, but he's also preying on Cassidy, too. Like, he's on his loneliness and his, uh, his desire for companionship. I don't know what he's after, though, still. So we're going to have to get to that, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, we'll, we'll talk about that in, in Act 4, but I, I agree. I'm not quite clear on what Icarius' ultimate plan is, if it's yeah. just finding a companion or if there's something more sinister to it but mm-hmm. we'll see um i did enjoy seeing uh joe gilgan laying on a sidewalk talking to a kitten yeah like from yeah. afar where they're spying on him i was like this is probably a really funny scene to shoot i'm just laying on his side just like talking to this little teeny all yeah, well, kitten. and the cat, when the cat goes to lick himself, and you hear the Acarius voiceover of "Oh, I can do this." It's like I they, can do this. Yeah, they were, <laughs> they were like, "We'll have the camera on the cat. He'll do some stuff, and then we'll make up whatever gets said later." Totally, like, <laughs> it's that the idea of that is really funny to me. It reminds me a little bit of the scene in uh, Day for Night where they're trying to work with the cat. Yeah. The cat actor, they keep like throwing it at the milk dish to try to get it to to do what they want, and it keeps like running away, yeah. like turning around and coming back, kind of thing. I was watching this thinking, like, how'd they get that kitten to just sit there the whole time? I don't know. Must yeah. be a good one. How did that cat not run away? Yeah, exactly, or get distracted by something. Yep. I liked Cassie saying, "I should at least have a tail by now, or something." <laughs> yeah, as if it's like a slow, like he can, he can partly trans transform yeah, like or something like that. One piece at a time. Yeah. um yeah the the i liked uh i liked star telling them to check out the sushi place at the imperial hotel and to keep their receipts save your receipts yeah (laughs) yeah i that that was one that was one of the really good belly laughs that i got because the way he says it is so funny he just like commands it yeah keep your receipts (laughs) i really wanted to hear him say we will reimburse you (laughs) Your your expenses will be covered. <laughs> yes, the uh, I loved when he was talking to. It was at some point I think when he was talking to Grandma still, where he the way he says Japan, Japan, he like Japan. <laughs> it was like J Y A ah in Japan. <laughs> and when he compared it to Willy Wonka's uh, Oompa Loompa Room, yes, and I was like, his metaphor is kind of there, but like yeah. the Oompa Loompa Room. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> That was good. He knows Oompa Loompas are a thing, but he doesn't quite, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. I liked his his being so irritated with Featherstone, like, diving into her backstory, and he's like, good. He's like, I... Good. Yeah. Fine. I think he says fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he just, he literally doesn't care, and she's all about it. And then there's Tulip, of course, who does not have the... To, I see a lot of myself in Tulip in the sense of like, why would I put effort into that thing that literally doesn't matter at all? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because Tulip is, she's just got it naturally. Like she can wing it. Yeah. That's part of, that's in her toolbox. She could just talk her way into it, talk her way out of it. And she has the, 
the base of her cover. Like it's simple enough that it will take root and she could just uh, naturally improvise from there. Yeah. Whereas Featherstones is so specific that she's going to get married to certain parts of it in her mind. And she's not going to be thinking about what she's supposed to be doing. She's going to be thinking about her character. She won't be flexible enough to like fully uh adapt to what's happening in front of her because it's actually like straight out of inception it's like the idea has to be simple enough that the mind can adapt it on to in on its own yeah and and kind of uh populate uh your own mind with the idea if the idea is too complex it will like reject it or, or like view it as fabricated yeah yeah and that's why when you i think when you see a lot of characters and and grifters and movies and stuff try to lie and it's too complex and it just doesn't doesn't feel natural yeah and featherstone is very robotic like if you yeah. walked up to her i'd be like, but at the same time we've seen her pull off some amazing characters too like yeah. she fooled jesse she fooled tulip so maybe there is something to it it's, they must they must have been riffing on like some method actors or something when they were writing that like yeah. people who just go a little too hard yeah i don't know it was funny yeah uh and then the the conversation between jesse and and tulip i thought was good but it didn't quite get like i like the idea of him touching on like the you know there's no such thing as the o'hare curse but i don't quite fully think he's there necessarily yeah i really i really like that he is the one person who can say that to her. Who's like, no, like that is some shit. Like you're just, that's in your head and it's not real. And when he tells her she's the toughest, most survivingist or whatever he says, uh, there's like something really sweet about the way that she's like, I like that, even though it's like (laughs) not a real word. And they have this kind of nice, like he, the two of them are, they're each the only person for each other that can do that. And like, I'm watching the scene and I'm like, man, Whew, Jesse really has just grown and come a long way since season two. But then I'm like, but when did it happen? And <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it yeah. feels like he has he has made like a lot of strides into because he was such a selfish like brat and kind of a a punk in and with a, a one track mind in season two. And he's so much more like mindful even in season one, and now he's all of a sudden like. He's like Gandalf the White all of a sudden, <laughs> and I don't get it. Like, it, it what happened? And it, maybe it's just a culmination of everything that has happened this season, including Tulip dying and coming back to life, and maybe him being in the coffin again, and that kind of stuff. Maybe all these, maybe snapping back to like the worst that life had to offer him ever has kind of made him grow. But it feels like it's kind of just happening behind the scenes. And well, I think maybe they've just been. A little more depth deft at making it happen more subtly because yeah. at the start of this season and him being like we get some episodes that kind of very directly deal with it particularly the one where they send cassidy away is where it's basically just kind of like you see jesse thinking he's doing what is the best thing for everyone involved and not consulting with anyone or talking about it or conferring because he's like this is my family i know what i have to do but when tulip finally puts her foot down and is like i'm staying here we got to deal with this together it feels like that to me is at least a little bit of that changing point along with the fact that tulip died 
and uh and he doesn't have like he he's not whole he doesn't have part of his soul and he needs mm-hmm. to work with people to make it all happen that's true i think they've kind of sprinkled it throughout i don't know that it's been as um uh, as flowing of a story as as they would have liked necessarily especially because season two just kind of feels like jesse doesn't give a fuck about mm-hmm. literally anything else but Season three, I think they've done a really good job with it, at least. So, yeah, that's a good point. I think uh, I don't know. I have to think about this one a little bit longer. I feel perhaps there's a way it could be a little more. I think so. maybe they're just trying so hard to not have characters talk about certain things that they're just. Man, this is really not coming out well, is it? Uh, <laughs> it's one of those times I need you to, to look up uh, how I'm feeling right now and tell it to me. <laughs> like, okay, so generally it's show, not tell, right? But yeah. there's there's times when characters sometimes just have to call back to like, for some reason, the two examples that leap immediately into my mind are like, in here's one that you'll like. So like in Tron Legacy, we we get a lot of these like, mirroring of earlier events but instead of the character doing thing a now they do the thing b that shows that they've changed yeah and sometimes like so like sam echoing lines from earlier in the movie or like removing herself from the equation a line like that or him like uh when he says uh when he grabs the identity disc out of there with her and he, he flies out he has some line that's an echo something she said to him earlier i don't remember what it is but you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, I know. I know the moment you're speaking of. So it's it's that kind of idea, where like kind of doing like a Nolan thing, where you're taking something someone said or something did and flipping it over uh, to show that you have taken in the the lesson and you are you are demonstrating that. Or in like or in like Pulp Fiction, towards the end when Jules uh, actually like the very end, very last scene when Jules has the gun at Tim Roth and he's telling him like. And he's like, but I'm trying, Ringo. I'm trying real hard to be the shepherd. And he's talking about how he's always been like the bad guy, but he's trying to be a better guy. You can have something as on the nose as a character literally saying, I'm trying to be a better person, but it's written so well that it doesn't come across that way. Yeah. And I feel like I need a moment like that out of Jesse for him to be like, I know that I was obsessed with the wrong stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't need to talk anymore about what I want to say because I'm going to leave that to the showrunners, but I feel like I just need a moment like that. Like a, like a one-on-one, like brass tacks, like no bullshit moment between like between Jesse and Tulip at least. I think we're driving towards that. I think we'll get there. I think by the end of this season, we will have that Jesse moment of him being like, it's about the family you choose, not the family you're born with kind of thing yeah. because grandma is that blood relative to him sure and him killing her or turning away from her or abandoning her or doing whatever he has to do i think and, and you know in turn like probably having to make some type of choice in order to save tulip from that situation is him actively being like forget the family the people who raised me and the people who are my blood relatives like i found my new family or my my family in this world in tulip and maybe cassidy but i think i think we're getting there but it does feel as though jesse's kind of leapt ahead of the curve a bit and and honestly like when it's it's okay to 
to sometimes lean into the tropes and the cliches and the cheese a little bit. Like what you were just describing was pretty like, uh, it, it seems like it could be driving that way totally. And like him even like, you know, turning to Tulip at some point and being like, it's about the family you choose or, yeah. or that kind of thing. And I would, I'd be totally okay with that because like in a lesser show or a lesser movie, I'd be like, Oh yeah. Barf. But you know, take Guardians of the Galaxy for example. It's chock full of shit like that, yep. but it works. Yeah, but it works. So, anyway, I don't need to spend more time on that topic. But I just feel like it's the kind of thing where like Jesse has been having some growth. We just haven't been seeing it happen. You know what I mean? I think it's been happening like between the scenes almost. Yeah, that's it's interesting. Strange. That is very interesting. And it, this may be something that only I have a problem with, but I feel like if it, maybe it's the kind of thing that. If I was binging the show, I would be able to be like, no, two episodes ago, he had that one sentence about, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that, that yeah. may be the case, but I feel like, I don't know, something. I, I'm paying attention to the show and I watch it for a reason because yeah. <laughs> we have to record this. And <laughs> I, I haven't walked away with, with that sense yet of, the, of that kind of big moment. So, yeah, no, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have to key back into that one in the, yeah. in the finale or the, the season wrap up, but. All right. Uh, Act four, Tulip and Jesse say their goodbyes in front of Featherstone, Star, and TC. Featherstone tries to lay it on Star like they were doing with each other, but but he's oblivious, and the Japan team heads out. Grandma calls Jesse into her room, and she's reluctant to let Jesse go. She makes him promise to come back. Otherwise, she'll do to him what she did to his mother. Icarius and Cassidy get jumped by Hoover's band of religious vampire hunters, but Cassidy's tolerance of tra- tranquilizers allows him to fight back and destroy the clergy while Hoover gets away. Cassidy speaks regretfully to Icarius about getting mixed up in the Grail and that he has to leave to deal with them, but Icarius encourages him to stay and they'll fight the Grail together. Then they make out. That's Act 4. Uh, yes. Uh... F- <laughs> Featherstone trying to ply any type of emotional response out of Star is that was it. That was the moment I couldn't handle it, and I just started laughing so hard. It's Star's not even looking at her. That's what's so funny. <laughs> she like says that line, and you see his head go. It like rotates around like he's a praying mantis. Why? <laughs> I laughed so hard. Like I was like, God. Give this man some sort of award that says, like, hey, we get it. You're the funniest person on TV right now. Oh, my God. I was dying. Yeah. Why? <laughs> what did she say? I'll, I'll call you from the car. Why? Yeah. I'll, I'll text you on the plane. Why? <laughs> He's like, oh, man, it's fantastic. Yeah. And then she's like, I'll, I'll see when the mission's over. And then he's just like, okay. <laughs> well, great. and she starts it off because uh, uh, as Tulip walks away, she says, watch your ass out there. Or mm-hmm. uh, watch your ass. And then Jesse says it back to her. And then you see Featherstone decide. She's like, all right, I'm going to try this. And she's like, you watch your ass, sir, or whatever she says to him. And nothing. He gives her nothing. <laughs> and then she continues with the, I'll call you from the car. And then he gets the why. And it's just beautifully done. Yes. It was like Terminator 2 why <laughs> scene, which is also hilarious. But this was uh, potentially even funnier. Yes. Yeah, I thought that was so good. I can't, I can't imagine 
the guys on set like not just like giggling behind their production monitors just like at his performance because it's so good yeah I, it reminds me of the story of uh while filming the princess bride and the whole miracle max sequence rob reiner had to leave the set yeah because he was laughing so much he kept ruining takes because he thought billy crystal was so funny like <laughs> Because he was just, you know, all his his shtick and like he was, uh, I'm sure, improvising a healthy portion of it. And the director of the film had to leave because it was too, it was too, his movie was too funny for him. Like, I I think that's so wonderful. Yeah. And uh, I, I really hope that Rogan and Goldberg were just like giggling at, at uh, Pip Torrens just all the time. Yeah. I wouldn't be able to be there. I'd be like, uh, I got to go. <laughs> this guy's too good. That's beautiful. Um, I really liked to the juxtaposition of that because you really realize how special Tulip and Jesse's relationship really is. Like yeah. it is this, it is this really beautiful, unique romance, and uh, you know those two. Like it is legit till the end of the world. Like it is ride or die. It is like take a bullet for you. It's uh, it's it's wonderful. Well, and no matter like how fiery it gets, and how mm-hmm. like raw they tend to be with each other they always tend to find their way back to this like sweetness that yes. lies underneath and it's it's fantastic those two kids better work this shit out in real life because they are too beautiful together it's not gonna do <sighs> um tc is absolutely one of those people that would not be able to read the social cue of looking at your watch or pulling your phone out <laughs> Just stand there and gonna wait <laughs> without oh, a doubt he's like oh, oh yeah by all means go ahead <laughs> and he like he he checks on it a couple times as if yeah, he kind of leans yeah, around but he but he, there's no part of him that's like oh he just wants me to go away and hair star makes no attempt to pretend he's actually taking a call he just stands like this <laughs> as if this is your cue to leave <laughs> Well, he doesn't say anything. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't go like, "Oh, excuse me," like leave the room. Yeah. Oh man, it's it's wonderful. Those two. The show uh, does such a great job of making these weird, odd pairs, and it continually it will like take these sets of characters and spin them around until they have to share a scene together, just the two of them or just the three of them, and just to see what happens. And it's like fireworks every time. It's so yeah. good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um. What did you, how did you feel about grandma's like almost, uh, I'm not trying to offend anybody here if they have any type of like, uh, mental impairments or, or disorders or anything like that, but she seems extremely like manic about the fact that Jesse is leaving her, Mm. uh, even though she has that like voodoo control of his life. Like, she could rip him in half if she wanted to. She could cause him pain so much so that he needs to return to her. But... I think it's really... I think that that's a great way to to scare you as a viewer. I think that kind of uncontrollable... I think manic is a good good way to, to put it. It... There's nothing as unsettling as, like, I shouldn't say there's nothing it's unsettling, but there's nothing quite like, uh, you know, characters or real people having outbursts and like meltdowns that they have no power over. Yeah. Like that 
freaks you out and that puts you in in a place of or puts me anyway i'm sure uh everyone else as well in a place of real discomfort because you're like you have that character has breached the point of reason they cannot be reasoned with they are acting on pure like instinct and emotion and that's scary yeah and especially when they're holding their fit your fate in their hands yeah like, literally well and it it certainly seems to to give jesse the the pause of like i need to deal with this yesterday like this needs to be over with and yeah like it's, the, good it, it's going nowhere it's going nowhere good real fast essentially well it's also it's also a little sad because it seems like almost like a re- reflection of an of an elderly grandparent and like a grandchild just like that because he knows exactly what to say and what to do to calm her down and it is very much like if you know if your grandparent is you know is suffering from dementia or anything like that they yeah. have these outbursts where um they don't make sense <laughs> and then and they can't it's not rooted in uh any sort of reality or reason and uh and you just have to like try to calm them down it, it was weird because it, it's kind of a, hu- a humanizing moment for her yeah but at the same time her uh, her obsession i think is is born out of just some weird twisted disgusting place that isn't rooted in humanity at all so it, it's it's freaky like it's a freaky scene and, and the way dominic cooper plays it so calm the way jesse reacts so calmly to it almost makes it scarier yeah because he is he's completely, been there before <laughs> yes yeah that and he knows he's walking through a minefield on a tightrope and <laughs> every step is is precipitous and he has to just he has a lot of uh, another skill check <laughs> dealing with grandma and uh you know that's these two characters kind of making promises to each other that you know both of them will abandon whenever they feel like it or yeah. need to yeah yeah very true uh acarius uh so i guess we can kind of get here like do you think there's some type of like perversion in him in turning like he's gotten so sick of turning people that now he's trying to like make cassidy the worst that he can be uh, you know that's a good point um perhaps i think it's unclear i mean i don't think it's unclear at any more that he's a bad guy yeah but I don't know exactly what his motivation is. I, I think part of him does genuinely see a companion in Cassidy. He sees somebody who is like him, but is also kind of unlike him. There's yeah. kind of a weird yin, yin and yang to them. They kind of complement each other well because they're so different. They're introducing each other to new things. Icarius is teaching him how to fly and mesmerize and turn into animals and Cassie's teaching him to hit a bong and like sleep in a beanbag and like that kind of stuff. Like he's kind of, he's kind of a novelty to him, I think. And I, I I think that for the moment, Akarius sees a a potential companion and, and mate apparently, but he, uh, I don't think that it's going to last because I think as soon as, because he likes to be able to control people and, and bend them to his will and he can't, he cannot have, a relationship because that that would require trust and uh and compromise and i don't think that that's 
necessarily in a 300-year-old vampire's bones anymore. Yeah. Yeah. No, it it's certainly... It seems to be driving towards something. Yeah. I don't know exactly what it is as of yet, but that, I'm okay with that. You know, it hasn't... We haven't been driving through, like, what Acarius wants for 10 episodes now. We've been trying to figure it out over maybe one. Yeah, yeah, it's no big deal. Like, I'm, I don't mind this being drawn out, like, over an episode or two more because... You know, we just got introduced to him. Yeah, and we're still getting kind of even if even if we're kind of touching similar notes, I think it's still uh, interesting to see Cassidy start to think that being a vampire isn't the curse that he made it out to be. Yeah, which ultimately sets him up for a fall. But I wonder if he'll carry anything out of it that gives him a little bit more juice in his step should he survive the yeah i hope uh at least some characters growth gets charted here (laughs) we'll see yeah all right uh i uh did we talk about the actual ambush yet not really yeah i mean yeah i i covered it in the thing but i kind of glossed over it but uh it was fun (laughs) (laughs) I, I thought it was really cool, actually. I liked the idea of, like, the the UV light bulbs um, and the, the, the guys mobilizing to kind of trap them. Uh, <laughs> Cassidy, his line about the tranquilizers was very funny. Another, yeah. another, another bit that reminded me of the Princess Bride, actually. It reminded me of the Iocane powder yeah. scene. <laughs> um, but just the way he phrased it was really funny, and I like him just... Going into vampire mode again. Uh, Joe Gilgan's like physicality when he turns to a vampire. He even like stood up like a like when you see those videos that are really funny actually of cats getting scared. Yeah. The way they arch their backs yeah. and they like <laughs> scurry out of the room. Those yep. are fucking hysterical. But uh, the way he stood kind of reminded me of that, and I was like, that's pretty awesome. And then he just going around snapping necks and doing his thing. But the this was the second funniest part of the episode to me was Icarus running around with his cape up. Yeah. Like trying to shield the sun, and he's like, ah! Like trying to block himself. That and... was very what we do in the shadows. Absolutely, dude. It was killing me. I was, <laughs> I was laughing so hard at him running around like this, and then just like jumping in his hand, running. Ah! He's really like over the top, like Voldemort yells. They were. Uh, it was really really good. I was like, this is this is really funny. And at the same time, in that moment, I felt concerned for Icarus. I was like, oh man, he's got a buddy now. I don't want him to die. Yeah. His, and then uh, I thought his his choice to turn to a mouse or to a rat was pretty yes. funny. <laughs> the the mouse transformation reveal was was pretty good. Uh, and the fact that like it doesn't just like wash over Cassidy. The fact that he's just kind of like, oh well, it happened again. I lost a friend of mine, and he yeah. like goes to sit down and and deal with it a little bit, but not like he's not no overcome with moment. grief. Yeah. No! Yes, yeah, exactly. exactly. So, no, no, uh, Jenny Utah shooting his clip into the sky. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I want that now. That'd be that'd be so awesome. <laughs> yeah, maybe someday. That is a good reference. Well done. Thank you. Uh, all right. I think Act Five. Uh, I guess the other thing that I'll say, um, uh. 
Does that happen in the new Point Break? I wonder. I have no probably, idea. It probably not. Damn well shouldn't, because you can never <laughs> match up to that. But no. Um. The. I guess I'm pretty pretty unaware of a lot of other vampire stuff on TV right now. I know that like there's that Being Human show that's been on some stuff, but uh, the like gay vampires on TV. It seems really refreshing to me. It's not really something that I uh, expected to see, but I think these two actors play it very well, and they they don't like it. Just seems like a very genuine connection, and I think that like the kind of um, the kind of implied uh, bisexuality of like something like an interview with a vampire. Yeah, kind of uh, faded out of a lot of vampire stuff as of late that I can think of, and and I think seeing something more genuine here, I think, and like overt, I thought was interesting. So, yeah, I think it worked completely. Yeah, two of them really, they like you said, they do really sell that connection, like that they they just have this this deeper connection that like borders on a love that. they haven't necessarily experienced anybody else ever because they haven't come across any other vampires. Yeah. Or so. in decades maybe, or who knows, yeah. you know? Yeah, but. that's true. It actually calls into question the, uh, I mean, they don't, we don't really know how many other vampires are out there or how these vampires are aware of each other, but Cassidy accepts the idea of a vampire dating app pretty, pretty casually. He's like, oh, all yeah, right. yeah. Like me scrolling through the iTunes store and finding like an app that seems interesting or like a game that's free. And I'm like, that looks kind of cool. I'll try that out. And Cassie just like, he's not like, oh my God, there's more. Yes. Like, so they, they must be like, they must have crossed paths with other vampires before. Yeah. Like I would think so. Unless like, if we really don't get that much information about that app. Like maybe it is just purely maybe they live in a world where there's an app for people role-playing like i'm sure there's like some type of furry dating app that's out there on the itunes store like the idea that there's like a role-playing vampire dating app doesn't seem that outlandish but it like the fact that he that's true maybe maybe it's very clearly role-playing in the app and he just didn't pick up on it because he's yeah 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 so all right, and then Act 5, uh, Tulip feels anxious and boxed in on the plane with Featherstone and Jody, all suited up in Grail attire. Lisa gets into a station wagon with Acarius in a garage, and she's excited to go, but he informs her that there will be no plane and that he never intends to send any more vampires out into the world. He presumably disables her in some way and then shoves her out of the car at a spot along the train tracks where it appears he's done this several times before, leaving her to burn in broad daylight. When he gets back, he cozies up to Cassidy in his coffin. TC paints Grandma's nails and asks her what a Genesis is, causing Grandma some alarm. And then finally, Hairstar makes Jesse promise that when Genesis starts working, he won't betray, kill, or force Star to have sex with him. Jesse promises and puts on the hood to be transported to Grail HQ. And at the HQ, Hoover informs Star that Cassidy got away and Star is angry about this. In the elevator, he pulls Jesse's hood off, and Jesse's soul is waiting for him, but in order for everything to work out, Jesse has to kill the Allfather, who Star presents to Jesse when the elevator opens up. Or presents Jesse to when the elevator opens up. Um, 
Anything particular about the plane other than Tulip being restless on a plane makes sense? No, I, I liked the enjoy your 16-hour flight. Yeah. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's weird that they have to fly like coach. <laughs> they have to fly like a commercial airliner mm. instead of Star being like, Use a private grail jet that will fly at, you know, well, Mach 5 and get you there in eight hours instead. Star did mention that he's trying to do things off book. Yeah, yeah. That's, so that's, that's got to be why. Yeah. It's just interesting because they are still traveling as grail personnel. Yeah. So, yeah, that's true. I don't know. It's a little... Those ideas are a little incompatible, I guess, but... um. It was funny. I also like that Jody's sat in front of her and leaning all the way back. Immediately reclines. Yeah, he's that <laughs> definitely that huge dude that would do that. Yes. Um, Lisa's death. Uh, I guess I I maybe glossed over her a little bit, and you talked about it a little bit, but she has this earnestness to her performance that is just, absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's pretty incredible, like the yeah. fact, like the idea of somebody portraying a person who like actively wants to become a vampire and then go do these good works on their mission. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't work, but it absolutely does, and it's like ninety eight percent her, like her and Dang. They yeah. cast uh, <laughs> two two really adorable people that just want to do <laughs> do good. Yes. Yeah, they're, uh, that was very sad. That was a bummer. And and it's even worse because she's so genuinely scared of him so quickly. When he kind of places his sunglasses on the dash and he's like, there is no plane. There never was a new plane. And you see it sinking in. And it's all the more horrifying because she accepts this new reality so quickly that you must think there was some part in the back of her mind that, that always knew. told her that he was preying on them in some way. Yeah. Or that this is a person who that has happened to many times before. Mm-hmm. Oh God. It's just, that's like, it's just so sad and so dirty and grossy when you see somebody victimized like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, it, it it what made it like even worse in my opinion, or not like worse but like grosser is the fact that like he's <laughs> when he gets in the car with the sunglasses on and everything it feels like he just woke up and is like kind of hung over from the night before or whatever and it's he's just got this air about him of all right i got to go take the trash out kind of thing mm-hmm. and it's just i the way he performed it was quite unsettling even just from like getting into the car and like sitting oh, yeah. there and everything so i thought that was interesting um what did you think about the fact that like the car drove up against the wall that was clever but it, like to me it was like how would they ever have really even gotten like i had already accepted the fact that cassidy could be in like the back seat of a car and be fine and so, like, the fact that he, like, would need to maybe do that, maybe, like, it felt to me like a little bit of an afterthought of, like, we're not going to show them along the way. Somehow he stays in shadows the entire time, but. Yeah, I don't know. I think uh, that I didn't bother me too much. I just kind of thought it was visually, it was kind of a neat thing to show. Yeah. Yeah, that's but, true. 
That's uh, I was wondering the same thing. I thought at first she was just going to open the garage door and let the sunlight in. It was just going to roast her in the car. Yeah. But I didn't think about all the ash, all the mess that would be left. Yeah, that's true. Um, I think the idea that even when they said, oh, they're not going to fly literally. She's like, you're not going to fly, silly. He, Icarius takes it to the airport. Like that sentence made me laugh. I was like, <laughs> really, Icarius is driving them to the airport? Yeah. And then... The idea, the visual of it was, you know, him sitting in a station wagon was like really funny. I was like, "Oh, this is good." And then <laughs> yeah. obviously, it quickly becomes horrifying. But a, a station wagon in Miss, Mrs. Rosen's garage—it's mm-hmm. probably her car. <laughs> yeah, probably. And that, and that's the thing that also makes it like even scarier is like once you see it and you like say it out loud, you realize how stupid it is. You're like, <laughs> there was no way this was ever true, and yet you know they one after another they go there. Um, I wonder what sort of juice he does. He gets like feeding off of vampires. Like it seems yeah. like he's actually drinking their blood. If that's what makes him such an uber vampire, is he drinks the blood of vampires? But I don't know. It's uh, uh, it's weird. That must be where he's got all his badass power from. He's killed uh-huh. so many other vampires in the three hundred years he's been alive, or whatever he said in this episode. Yeah, but he's just accumulated power. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know. I've never. I don't know that I've like. I don't know that much about vampire lore, but I've never really heard of the idea of vampire blood. Oh well, yeah, because when you're a vampire, I think you're undead. Yeah. Technically. Yeah. So interesting. He's taking that vampire growth hormone. <laughs> if there's any any vampire any Anne Rice fans out there, somebody who knows something about vampires accumulating power in some way by consuming other vampires let me know like it's it's yeah. very it's like a highlander kind of thing <laughs> yeah if there's a, a descendant of a van helsing listening to this podcast <laughs> please, please listen in. uh so what did you make of grandma being alarmed by genesis does that track with anything you know can you talk about that or no I don't think I know (laughs) you don't think you know what you know but you may know something that you know yeah exactly (laughs) I don't know what is up with it in the show necessarily I feel like She's got that phone. She's got that direct line of hell. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. I think uh, she knows, she probably knows God's missing. I'm kind of starting to think she knows God's missing, and maybe she knows that there's an APB out on Genesis, but never in a million years would she think it would have been a little Jesse. Did that phone, what happened when that phone got picked up again? Do you remember? There was just a voice that said, who is this? Okay. Or it said, "What do you want?" I think, but I remember I thought it sounded like the warden from hell. Yeah. But it was probably just like deep voice number three in the show or something. Yeah. Like it, it, it may very well not get expanded on at all. I just think we were we were jokingly calling it Grandma's direct line to hell. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. But it might be. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> this episode. This is uh, as much as I. I shouldn't say I didn't like the episode, but. I didn't love it. The, it's got an awesome ending, though. This is a really uh, really cool place to leave this episode with this cliffhanger with Grandma and then with uh, 
the elevator. Yeah, that's the thing, and yeah, we'll we'll get to. I guess we can get to Joseph's email, but uh, like touching on the Grail at least in the end here. Uh, Star, I am so unsure about Star in terms of like I feel as though he seems so slippery in terms of like where his actual allegiances lie Mm -hmm. that it seems to be doing me at least a little bit of a disservice because I felt very enamored with the fact that he kind of lays his hands he lay he lays his like life into Jesse's hands essentially Mm -hmm. and, and he makes him promise not to you know kill him or anything like that but at the same time, you know that he's got Hoover working to get him some type of leverage over Jesse. Like, he seems to be working pretty hard to get that leverage. Still, that, I don't know, it's just also diabolical. And that's part of the reason why, like, I guess I'm really skeptical about Tulip going with Featherstone because you know that Maybe Featherstone maybe doesn't intend for Tulip to make it back. And yeah, what is Jody going to do when presented with any of it? Like, what's going to happen there? I don't know. Like, I think that's that to me is the best of this episode is the fact that we have this chessboard set. It's going to be like a spectacular final 20 moves, I think. Like, I hope these final three episodes are just... Like, we're going to be in Japan next week, and also with the Allfather, and also with a cart. Like, there's a lot of plates spinning right now. It's it's ramping up into a, a hell of a finale, for sure. Yeah. Like, I, and I think it's it's cool that Jody is with uh, Feather uh, Featherstone and Tulip, because he can kind of... There's like a check and balance for each of them. Yeah. Because every one of those three characters has an interest in making sure that at least one more of them make it back. Like Featherstone can't necessarily kill Tulip because her life is tied also to uh, to Grandma's. Like I, I've got to imagine that it extends both ways. Yeah. But I guess I don't know for sure. But... I don't know. Basically, I just don't think that there's going to be the opportunity for one of those characters to kill another without the third trying to fight it. Yeah, and intervene in some type of way. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's very true. That's very true. And I guess the thing is, is I wonder if all three of them know that or not. <laughs> yeah, you that's know? true. Jody could be able to, Tulip could be oblivious, and, and who knows? Featherstone's obviously the most, she's in the best position to really understand everything but yeah um so we did get an email from our buddy joseph he said hey guys at first i thought this was kind of a blah b minus episode but as i struggle uh as i struggled to explain why i convinced myself that it's worse than that and i'm hoping you notice some stuff that can cheer me back up hopefully there was some clever film work or something but here's what what i think bothered me first i liked the mystery of what was up with hitler and Acarius a lot more than the reveal Initially, they were these complicated mixes of good and evil. Does Hitler regret what he did? Is there a side of him that recognizes and protects Eugene's innocence? Nope, he's crap. Acarius is crap, and they're both pathetic to boot. 
The reveals make me feel like their whole story was a waste of my time. I'm interested. I'm still interested to see how their stories affect Eugene and Cassidy, but I'm worried I'll be more. Di- I'll be disappointed in those reveals as well. Second, an episode to set up next week's confrontations is fine, but it felt like the pacing was off. Instead of the tension building, so that I can't wait to see the All Father showdown, the Soul Heist, and the Cassidy Acarius showdown, I felt like I watched an hour of previously on Preacher, all exposition without much investment. Third, I really didn't like Tulip gratuitously beating Featherstone. I mean, I know Featherstone killed her, but if I recall correctly, it was reasonably a fair fight. Plus, it reminds me of Jesse's sexual abuse of Star. Jesse never just disables or kills Star, but instead makes him cram things in his ass or eat his dick. And here we have Tulip giving a straight-up abuser's line that Featherstone is making Tulip punch her by pushing Tulip's buttons. Maybe Tulip and Jesse are going to evolve, or maybe the Grail are such assholes that they deserve sadism, but it makes it hard to root for Jesse and Tulip when their Bonnie and Clyde start to drift into natural-born killers territory. That's, I like that uh, that comparison between natural-born killers and uh, Bonnie and Clyde, because those are very similar, but also very different. Yeah. It's a, it's a really apt comparison. Yeah, thank you, Joseph, for the the... I think very well thought out email. Like I think I still think there's a lot to like about this episode. Mm-hmm. Um but it is all character work. And I get that some of it isn't quite working. Like we talked about struggles with charting Jesse's growth and things like that. And and so I I guess at this point I'm just a little more willing to like ride it out and see i mean we're so close to the end of the season that you might as well stick around and i i know that he would be finishing it out anyway but yeah i think um i think there's a lot here with with performances and just interesting little things here and there that are still keeping me invested in the characters even if they're not quite um, evolving in the most on-screen type of way, as we previously discussed. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I, I get think it. He, yeah, I do too. I don't, I don't think I'm quite as quite as down as Joseph because I think although Although Icarius especially is like he is kind of pathetic and like he's like he said about the reveal. Yeah, the, the reveal is not it's not a shocker. Like it's something that I think a lot like Lisa, we all kind of knew in the back of our minds was coming. And his his pathetic nature obviously is like, I don't know, I guess you can you kind of kind of take it a lot of different ways. I think taking it, you know, being disappointed in it and expecting something more out of it. I totally understand that i think i just kind of thought that's the way it was going to go from the start and uh i don't think that that knowledge is rooted in the comic in the book even but just in kind of the expectation that a character with that kind of lifespan maybe it's just like a, a, a slightly jaded part of me but somebody with that kind of lifespan and lifestyle uh it just feels like the natural course that they would go down, yeah. especially somebody who was at their prime and their humanity in that era 300 years ago when the world was very different. Like maybe he could have actually made a, a you know, a legion of, of uh, socially conscious vampires, but 
know. Yeah, it, I mean, I guess that's what was so refreshing for me about Acarius last episode is that I didn't, like, I could, you can sense that there's something wrong with him, but it's not like, it didn't necessarily, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm a little, a little naive in that I wasn't like ready to brand him that much of a predator, but like, I'm pretty sure that I talked and noted about the fact that like Cassidy seems so worn down by the fact that he's a vampire and he's only 89 years into it. But yet sure. Acarius seems to be like probably 250 years into it or something like that. There's no way that he couldn't be worse off. You know? Because it's because he's embraced it and he's uh he's gone to the dark side. Yes. Yes. Uh, but he, he even seems sick of that too. Like by the like him when when he tells uh, Lisa, he's like, I'm the worst of of them all. Like it, it's not, it's not like a that's that's not a Batman villain telling Batman he's about to face his worst villain. That's him being yeah. like, you know, he's just, I don't know, I don't. It, it, he's just kind of sick of it, and being a villain to him isn't even fun anymore. Yeah, that's true. It seems like to me, at least. Um, or at least without being a worse villain, he's ready to just take it take it a step further. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I do Joseph's point of I really liked the mystery of what was up with Hitler. Like I do think there were so many like I think our postulation of what they were doing with Hitler in season two is better than what ended up happening with Hitler. Like, <laughs> they had opportunities to take it in an interesting direction, maybe. And we've talked about the movie about what if he, you know, uh, what was the name of the movie that... The dude whose name I keep forgetting every week, who plays Hitler. Noah Taylor. Oh, Noah Taylor? What oh, was, and Max? Yes, Max. Yeah. So, like, the we've talked about, like, other things that have explored the what if Hitler... Uh, you know wasn't the villain that he was or like this show had the opportunity to explore what if he changed what what if he learned to regret what he did could could he be redeemed yeah yes and and the answer maybe not redeemed not now yeah uh, that's not the right word anyway could he feel remorse sure and the answer is so clearly no and that is yeah. so clearly boring that but it's all it's also so clearly obvious. Like you don't yeah. need you don't need to even ask the question when you already know the answer. It's kind well, of the same thing with Acarius for me. But I think in fiction like this, there's room for someone to change like that. There is room in fiction. I don't know that it's a great idea from an authorial standpoint to be like, I'm gonna put Hitler in this and show that maybe he wasn't such a bad dude. That's probably a horrible choice. Yeah, but there's room for so. it to happen, regardless of whether or not it is good fiction, you know? <laughs> like, someone can try and do it if they want. And I was open to that. But they didn't even try that. And it was a waste of time anyway, is kind of where I'm at. With yeah, that. I I unfortunately don't. I don't think so. I don't think there's room for that. I think that 
that argument exists for a reason, and I don't think that they were ever going to come up with something that was going to make me okay with the idea of 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 a character like that finding some remorse, or I'm sorry, yeah, some remorse or some forgiveness or anything. It's just like I don't know, and and I feel like they really solidified it with this episode. Now I'm kind of ready to just be like, okay, I'm done. I'm done. And I, I after this episode, I completely agree with you. And and, and I, I'm I'm totally down to keep going down the road with uh, Icarus, though. I think there's a really interesting story there. Yeah, and uh, I like I like what they're setting up, and I like uh, I like that they're really setting Cassidy up for some some real next level disappointment. <laughs> oh yeah, because I think Preacher as a show has gotten a lot of stuff about Preacher the book right, but I think one one lesson that the book continually reinforces is that really bad things can happen to you. And potentially really bad things will happen to you. And uh, the show hasn't really had a lot of really bad stuff happen to our characters yet. Like the three characters, aside from Tulip dying, and then, you know, there's a solution built in for that. But they haven't had a lot taken from them yet in the present. They all have a lot in their past that has been taken from them and that has made them into the kind of twisted people that, that, that they are today. Yeah. Twisted is maybe too harsh of a word, but the kind of broken people that they are today. Yeah. We, we've seen that they, that Tulip and Jesse certainly have tragedy in their past and we can kind of wager that Cassidy is too. Like I said, we got to see that shit soon, <laughs> but you know, in the, we haven't had anything really horrible happen to them right now. Like they still kind of have each other. They're still t- kind of together. They're in a bit of a quagmire right now with grandma, but um, do you know what I'm saying? Like we're yeah, we're, we're no. not seeing we're not seeing the, the Han Solo and Carbonite kind of thing happen yet. Where like something is really well, taken from these and, guys, and therefore maybe goosing the journey of Jesse needs to find God again. Like we're so far off of that, and I, and I think having bad things happen to them now would lead jesse like if something were to happen to tulip i feel like it would make jesse be like god wasn't here for this and would this have happened if he was there you know and kind of like giving him that energy of like i need some answers like yeah that's a great that's a great point actually yeah we do kind of need to get back on track with that as well and I, I think, think it's safe to say at this point with the way the momentum is driving that we're not going to be in Angelville beyond this season, but yeah, um, maybe we will. I don't know. <laughs> there's a lot of, there's a lot of maybes and I don't know flying around still. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think they're going to let up anytime soon. Yeah. But still I'm, I'm, I think I'm, uh, more energized and happy in episode seven of season three than I probably was in episode seven of season two. Oh, a thousand times, yeah, because in episode seven of season two, you still have five more episodes to go, or six more episodes to go. Yep. Six more. God, could you imagine if we had six more episodes of this? <laughs> I mean, I love this show, but... No, no I, I, yeah, no, I totally agree. <laughs> I love a good beer, too, but eventually I gotta reach the bottom of that sucker and just, like, take a pause. Yep. All right, I think that's it. Thank you, Joseph, for the email. Thank you, Sue, for your email. Thank you, Martin, Thank for you your guys. Twitter. Thanks, as always, for all the, the brilliant conversation going yes. to the Discord. Yes, Bruce and Joseph still chatting it up, I think, even to this moment, uh, as as 
they have lots of thoughts on this week's episode. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it, Bruce, so Bruce, Bruce did kind of refute a little bit, I think, with Joseph's point in the email that we just read. He said, this episode was all set up true, but I had a lot of fun just watching all the characters interact, which is a little bit like what I said. And then he said, seeing the Grail and Angelville groups together was entertaining as hell. And as far as Acarius goes, what he's been doing isn't terribly off from the comic. Uh, and I'm just happy to uh, to see him since I thought Denis was taking on certain aspects of his role last season. And then he said, I look forward to Osaka and the Allfather next episode. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the next episode I feel like is going to be gangbusters. Yeah. I'm excited. And Bruce, Bruce says, also, we finally got back to the vampire hunters after nearly three full seasons. That's, that's true. Like, Cassidy does find a bible with a bunch of like scrawlings in it in the plane on the pi- in the pilot episode mm, like yeah you're right so you know maybe maybe he's on their list but uh yeah thank you guys for discussing the show with us it's uh it's good to be watching along with people so. oh yeah that's awesome once again, you can find more episodes of our podcast on G2TPodcast.com. We're also on TV Time, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and all the other podcatchers. We are G2T Podcast on Twitter, and you can email us at G2TPodcast at gmail.com to tell us what you think of our podcast and share your thoughts on AMC's Preacher so we can read them on our show. The Midwest Podcast Network has other shows about video games, horror movies, FX's The Alienist, and HBO's Westworld. Find out more about these shows as well as how to support our network at midwestpodcastnetwork.com our theme uh, theme music is the song All In by the Red Thread and it is being used under a non-commercial Creative Commons license that's all for this episode of Gone to Texas we can't wait to see what next week's episode of Preacher brings but until then go forth and speak the good word